morning, church family. Isn't the Lord good? I said, isn't the Lord good? Yeah, make sure y'all are awake. Y'all better be awake today. You better be awake because today is the final closing message of our All In series. I'm going to tell you, this pastor is just a little bit fired up this morning, so I hope that you are ready to receive. And listen, for those of you that are just with us, we've been on a series. It's been the longest series that I've taught in my 25 years of ministry. It's been 10 months this this series has been and uh, it's called all in we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of acts and let me just say this though that's okay if you're like oh man we're catching the last message of the series we save the best for last all right and so uh, i'm excited uh, why don't we just go right into god's word can we do that father we just ask you to open our hearts lord speak to us today precious holy spirit we invite you into this place as we know you are already here, God, already moving, already going before us, already tearing down preconceived ideas, already tearing down strongholds, setting the captive free. We thank you for King Jesus. So continue to do, Lord, what you want to do in our hearts and our lives in this place. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's saints say amen. amen. Let me just give you a little bit of recap, especially for those of you that may not have been here last week. Last week, we went through the majority of the book of Acts chapter 27, where we talked about things not making sense, and how that we often find ourselves in trouble when we start leaning on our senses. Now, if you missed last week's message, Paul is on his way to Rome. God had revealed to Paul that he would eventually end up in Rome. However, the road that he's had to travel to get there was much more difficult than he ever possibly could have imagined. Because he's not traveling there as a free man, but rather in chains as a prisoner. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, the call is free, but the journey will cost you everything. You say, Pastor, what's that mean? It means the call to follow Christ, it doesn't have an upfront cost. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace, which is offered to us without merit on our part. Like Christ paid the upfront cost on our behalf. Yet once we've surrendered our lives to Christ wholeheartedly, we're then to surrender our desires, our ambitions, and our perspectives. See, this is the call that we're talking about is the call to follow him. And that demands our complete devotion. You know, Jesus gives us a, a great illustration of what that means in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, where he shares with us the parable of the hidden treasure. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Jesus tells about a person who stumbles upon a hidden treasure in a field. And upon recognizing the immense value of the treasure, the person quickly sells everything that he has in order to acquire the field and to possess the treasure. And this parable poses this truth, that the value of knowing Christ is greater than anything else in this world, and that living for him is a cost that one would gladly pay were they but to see the true value of knowing him? Well, Paul 
recognized the worth of Jesus and Jesus' call for Paul to follow with him. And in Philippians 3 and verse 8, he says this. He says, everything else is worthless. Now think about this for a minute. He's not just saying, well, yeah, if I compare these few little things, but he says, everything here is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I can gain Christ. One translation says it this way, I have suffered the loss of all things. Now, if you've missed a few messages in this series, let me just give you a little bit of a, a recap of the things that Paul suffered. First of all, Paul gave up his notoriety and his prestigious position as a Pharisee. Like everywhere Paul went, people knew exactly who he was. And he would have had all kinds of young men who were under him who would have followed his very command. Essentially, Paul gave up all the things that the world looks to attain. But not only did he give up all of the luxuries, he then chose to suffer persecution as a follower of Christ. Now, I mention that because I want you to understand that Paul was all in as a follower of Jesus. He didn't just become a Christian so that things would be easy and wonderful in his life. In Philippians 3 and verse 10, Paul says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings. You see, Paul wanted to be just like his Savior, Jesus. And when you look at Paul's life, you'll see that he started facing persecution since day one. He was persecuted and faced opposition from the Jewish leaders since day one. He was imprisoned in Philippi after being falsely accused and beaten. At Thessalonica, he faced hostility and was even ran out of the city. And then in Berea, he faced opposition and riots happened as a result of him preaching the gospel. And on many occasions, people plotted to have Paul killed. As a matter of fact, in Lystra, he was stoned. I know some of you are like, I knew the Bible talked about marijuana. That's not what this is talking about here when it says that he was stoned. Um, <laughs> to stone, to be stoned meant that people had picked up a handful of rocks and they were throwing them at you. And they're not just throwing them at you just to discipline you so that you'll do a little bit better the next time to teach you a lesson. When you stone someone, it's with the intent of killing him. And that's why the Bible says that they led Paul outside of the city, and they had to do that in order to meet all their religious laws because he would have been bloody and everything else. So we're going to get him outside of the city so that we can keep our hands clean as if there weren't already bloods on his hand, maybe not physically, but certainly figuratively and spiritually. And I think that Paul probably was dead because you know that they checked because they wanted to make sure the guy was not breathing, that there was no pulse. But I believe God raised him back up. 
And just a few weeks ago, we read about Paul being dragged out violently in the temple. Can you imagine be sitting right here? That is who you are. Then all of a sudden, somebody grabs your arm. You're like, yo, 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 what's going on? And they drag you out back, and there's a mob against you. Well, that's exactly what happened here with Paul. They violently dragged him out of the temple in Jerusalem where they were beating him with the intent of killing him. The only reason they didn't kill him was because the Roman centurion showed up and stopped it. Then he went and he spent years in prison before finally heading to Rome. And as we read last week, Paul was on a shipwreck that was so bad that everyone on board thought that they were going to die. But Paul tells everyone that God had revealed to him that no one would die, only the boat would be destroyed. If you didn't catch last week's message, I encourage you to watch it. It says then in verse 25, and this is where we ended, it says that Paul said, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Which is a great word for us to hold on to anytime we find ourselves in the middle of a storm and our boat gets rocked. We hold on to God's promise that it's not the end. Amen? Now I want us to pick back up where we left off. We're going to pick back up exactly where we left off. So I want us to look and read in Acts chapter 27. Last week we ended off on verse 25. Let's look at verse 26. Paul continues by saying, but we must run aground on a certain island. Now here in a few minutes we're going to look at this island here a little more in depth as we read chapter 28. But I want us to just first grab a hold of this one thought about what Paul is saying right here. Paul says we must run aground on a certain island. Now, one might think that Paul was referencing the fact that the boat was about to come apart and it only made sense for them to go to the island. But I think that we've already established the fact that Paul wasn't being led by his senses. So the must that Paul was referring to meant that there must have been purpose for this stop. Friends, did you know that in Psalm 139, the Bible says that every one of your days were written in God's book before yet one of them comes to pass? Look, there's a few things that we can know for sure about heaven, and one of the things is, is that there's going to be a big library. And somewhere in that library is a book detailing all the days of your life. Just like we are reading the story of Paul from the book of Acts, your days have been written. They have been ordained by God. Now, I'm not talking about predestination. I'm talking about the fact that God has a purpose set for your life, when in which he calls us to surrender to him and follow that call. And here's the thing about that call, and I mentioned it earlier. We often don't know the full purpose of when, what, where, how, and why. The only thing that we can know for certain is who. Paul said, we must run aground on a certain island. He doesn't expound anymore on the why. He doesn't give any more information on what they're supposed to do once they get there. He doesn't even know the name of the island. We find that out here in the next chapter. Now, I tell you this because there will be times in your life where God will just give you a glimpse. Are you following me? 
This is where God shows you the trailer, but you have to live the premiere. Hey, God showed me the trailer before I moved here to plant Destiny Church. But now I've got to live by faith as the premiere unfolds. Are y'all following me? What I mean is this. God will often show you just enough for you to step out in faith. But now you've got to continue in faith, trusting that he will bring about everything that is needed to bring the vision about. Can I just share with you uh, uh, maybe a little bit of the trailer that God showed me uh, several years ago? It was on 2007, and I was on a mission trip to Mexico with a big group of, of teenagers. We were building a house there, and we happened to be in um, a worship service at a church. And there I was, worshiping God in song. And I was having such a great time because they sang two songs that I knew in Spanish. So I acted like I knew what I was talking about, like I really knew Spanish. But uh, I did know what it meant in English and in Spanish, and so I was really enjoying myself. And uh, I looked all the way around at the church that we were in, and I'm not sure how big it was. I can tell you this, that it would have filled up this sanctuary twice, right? And so I'm looking around, and I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. As clear as you are hearing my voice right now, say this, you will have a church like this one day. And immediately, and when I say immediately, within a split second of me hearing that, I felt a hand on my shoulder. Now, I turned around and I looked, and it happened to be one of my adult youth leaders, Veronica, who's watching right now. Hi, Veronica. Everyone say hi, Veronica. Veronica had her hand on my shoulder, and I turned around, and she looked at me and said, Brother, the Holy Spirit just told me that you're going to have a church like this one day. Now, she told me that word for word of what I just heard. But watch this. This is what I want you to catch. It was just a glimpse. I didn't know the when. I didn't know the how. I'm still trying to figure out the how. I didn't know where. All I knew is that God had already told me that it was going to be somewhere in Jacksonville, Florida. Hello, that's the, the biggest landmass city. We all know that. You've heard that a thousand times, haven't you? So try to determine where that means, right? But now 16 years later, guess what? I get to continue in faith, trusting that he will bring about everything that he spoke to me. And much in a similar way as Paul, whenever he says, I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I have been told. Amen. Now let's look down to verse 39. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. And remember that Paul said, we must run aground on a certain island. And now they have come to that island. Verse 39 says, when it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, planned if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plans. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first, 
and make for the land, and the rest of the planks were on pieces of ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Now, did you catch that? All were safely brought to land. Not one person was lost. Well, that's exactly what God said, right? That no one would perish, only the the ship would be destroyed. And so everything is happening just as God said that it would. Now, I love the close of this chapter because it reminds me that whenever things go differently than how I thought that they would or how that I had prayed that they would, I have to remind myself Not to be married to how I think that God wants to operate. But I hold to the promise that though I may have taken a road that I hadn't planned on taking when I first started this journey, he's going to see to it that I'm going to safely arrive at my destination. Will I face some opposition along the way? Absolutely. Will it be harder than I thought that it would? You better believe it. Will there be times where I'm going to be tempted to throw in the towel? Only if you're human. (laughs) But if we will trust God. I said if we will trust God. Faithful is he who began a good work in you to bring it about to completion. That's a good place to say amen. Y'all be in silence this morning. I want us to jump over to Acts chapter 28. And this is the last chapter in the book of Acts. It's going to be the last message in the series also, like I said. So we're going to start in verse 1. Acts 28 and verse 1. And it says, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Now, I want to just pause here for just a minute, and I'm going to ask this question. Have you ever been in a place that is unexpected? A strange place? A small place? A a stuck place? Well, that's Malta. I don't know about you, but I have found myself on the shore of Malta more times than I had hoped for, planned for, or prayed for. As a matter of fact, I never once hoped, planned, or prayed to end up there. But like Paul said, we must go there. You see, there's a place that God has appointed for each and every one of us. A place of uncertainty. A place where you may feel stuck. A place that makes us uncomfortable. A place of unfamiliarity. But it's in that place that God desires to do a great work. You see, Malta serves as a reminder that even in the most unexpected and challenging places, God's providence is still at work. And what may appear as a setback can be used as a setup for God's glory to be revealed. Let's read verse 2. It says, the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. And so things appeared to be getting better. They survived the shipwreck, 276 of them in all. And now the natives of Malta are showing them extraordinary kindness. And they've built them a fire to try to warm them up. And here comes along. Paul in in verse 3 who decides to help. And so he gathers together a bundle of sticks and he lays it on the fire, but then a snake bites him. I mean, this is almost comical, unless you've been there. 
Unless you've come out from a fight only to find another one right there on your front door. How many of you all know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand so I can make sure I'm preaching to the right crowd. Paul lands on this island called Malta. And the natives build him a, a fire there. And, and Paul just thought that he would help, which would have been uh, the right thing to do. You know, whenever you see others doing the work and you're just sitting there benefiting from the fruit of their labor. Preach on that for another day. But how does Paul's good deed get rewarded? By getting bit by a snake. Have you ever helped someone before? Only your help ended up causing you harm? Well, if you have, you're in good company. Because so did Paul. And so did Moses. And so did Joseph. And so did Esther. And so did Elijah. And so did your Lord and Savior, Jesus. So Paul tries to help. He gets bit by a snake. And then in verse 4, it says, When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to say to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, I want to just hang around here for just a second. Because the people of Malta are not much different than the people today. Because the people of Malta, they just assumed, since this snake bit Paul, he must have done something wrong. Like, what sin did he commit or his parents commit, right? Watch this. People will always assign a reason to why you're going through what you're going through. Well, if I had been her husband, I would have left too. People say things like that. Not to you, because they will never say them to you. They just think them about you. They think that the reason that bad things happen to you is because of something that you did. And so here comes Paul, who just made it through a shipwreck. He says that he's a servant of God. He claims to be a preacher. And now he's standing there with a viper attached to his hand. And everyone is watching, thinking. If this man really is, an, is a servant of God, then why isn't God protecting him? Much like the crowd at the crucifixion of Jesus, whenever they said, if you truly are the son of God, then save yourself. But what if God is using the thing that others labeled as a sign of failure or defeat as an instrument to display his purpose and his power? I'll tell you this because the devil will lie to you, and he will tell you that what you're going through is because of something that you have done, and that God is done with you. He doesn't care about you, and that you must be outside of the will of God. But I just want to tell you that the devil is a liar. Hey, what seems to be over and done is just a setup for God's resurrection power. Remember what Paul encouraged us? For whenever the devil comes, he gave, us, he gave us this word right here. He says, for I am persuaded. I cannot be moved. I don't care what you say. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Huh, how about that? Shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, look at me. What you're going through doesn't define you. And it isn't a sign that you're doing something wrong. 
Actually, it could be a sign that you're doing something right. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So this is a word for every person in this room that you're going to need at some point in your life. If you desire to live a godly life, you are going to face persecution and opposition. Why? Because we have an adversary who is hell-bent on separating you from God. And so Paul has this viper hanging from his hand. Everyone is watching, making judgments about why this is happening. And I want you to watch what happens next. Verse 5 says, But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. Watch this because I want you to see Paul's response because his response is the same response that we're supposed to have anytime we find ourselves in a place where things are coming against us. And those that are around us are drawing their conclusions and making their judgments. What did Paul do? He didn't say a word. He didn't try to convince them that God was with him. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't get on social media and write a response post. Watch what he did. He did what we've got to learn to do whenever we make it through the storm and all hell breaks loose on the shore. The Bible says that Paul shook it off. And that's what we're to do anytime that something tries to attach itself to you. Shake it off before it gets into your system. Shake it off before you believe what they've said about you. Shake it off before it kills you. And shake it off right in front of them that are standing there and judging you. Come on, shake it off. How many of y'all know that must have been where Taylor Swift got her inspiration? Acts 28 verse 5. Come on, someone say shake it off. Shake it off. <laughs> I'm shaking it off. And I love Paul's response here because, again, watch. This is how we're supposed to respond. Are you with me? You shake it off. You don't get a vote from the island committee as to whether or not they think that, that God is with you. No. Paul said, I have a word from God. I already know that I'm going to Rome. So I can't die on this island. And church, you already have a word from God. God already said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. God already said that he would be faithful to complete the work which he has began in your life. God already said that his plans for you were for good and not for evil to, and to, to, to prosper you and not harm you. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. So go ahead and, and try to attach your judgments or your accusations and your doubts toward me. I have set my face like a flint. I shall not be moved. I'm going to shake it off because I know who I am in Christ. Paul knew he couldn't die in Malta because God had already told him that he was going to go to Rome. And when he shook off the snake, the people stood back to see what's going to happen next because that's what people do. They don't bring you an ice pack or, or an aspirin, hello? They just stand there and watch you. But verse 6 says, now they were expecting 
that he was going to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen that nothing unusual had happened to him, they changed their mind. See, this is why you can't put your confidence in people. They changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. One minute he's a, a murderer, and now he's a god. One minute, Hosanna. The next minute, crucify him. That's why your response cannot be to people. Are y'all hearing me, church? If you put your trust in people, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Paul doesn't listen to them when they call him a murderer. And he doesn't listen to them whenever they call him a god. He knew that he was neither. But I want you to just to consider all that has transpired and, and taken place here. Because Paul, at this point in the story, he has a decision to make. Misery or mission. Because we've already read that it's rainy and cold. We already read that it was an unfamiliar place. We already read that the man almost died. And now he's got a decision to make. And look at me, church, and so do you about this season of your life. Mission or misery. Paul didn't decide to go to Malta. But now he has to decide what to do while he's there. He could just sit there and wait to get off this dumb island. Or he can do the same thing that he did whenever he was in Jerusalem. So the natives now think that Paul's a god. So they're thinking, man, this guy right here, he's important. And apparently the, the chief of the island hears about it, and he wants to have dinner with this guy who can survive a shipwreck and a snake bite. Church, write this down. Your opportunities in life will be the byproduct of the adversity that you go through. That's a good place for someone to say amen. Paul gets invited to the chief priest's island, or I'm sorry, the chief of the island's home because he was able to stand up under the trial. Now see, watch this. This is where most people miss it. They keep praying for the opportunity, but they don't want to stand up under the adversity. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come. Come on, say, they had to come. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Wow. Man, we could just chew on that scripture right there for a couple hours. These things have come. They must come. So that the proven genuineness of our faith. See, God never tempts us. But you know what he will do? He will come in and test us. And you know why we're tested? Because what's tested can be trusted. You're going to let your plumber fly that 747 the next time you get in that thing? No. You're going to make sure a pilot is the one flying it. One who's been tested with many hours, right? Let me say it again in case you didn't write this down a minute ago. Your opportunities in life will be the byproduct of the adversity that you go through. Let's read verse 7 of Acts 27, or 28. It says, Now in the neighboring parts of that place there were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, the chief, named 
Publius. There's you a, a baby name, ladies, if you're looking for one and you want to ensure that your kid's going to grow up and be tough. Ha <laughs> ha, Publius. Publius welcomed us and entertained us warmly for three days. I'm sure that Paul's probably thinking, what do you know, finally, this is nice. But at some point during Paul's stay, he learns that Publius has a problem. And Publius's problem is about to become Paul's opportunity. Verse 8 says, And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with a recurring fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid hands on him and healed him. Look, to every person that's ever thought that the Bible was boring, you've clearly not read the last two chapters of the book of Acts. I mean, wow, what a turn of events. Paul gets shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, survives both. Now he's being wined and dined by the chief of the island, and he hears about his dad who has Malta fever, and he goes to him, lays hands on him, and now he's healed, which is a miracle all in and of itself. But what really makes it more amazing is to realize that the same hand that the healing came through was the same hand that a snake was hanging from just three days ago. Are you catching this? I'm talking about the things in life that you have went through that you thought were going to take you out, that you didn't sign up for, but now God is going to work through that thing. Work through that heart. Work through that, that difficulty. The same hand that the snake bit became the same hand that the healing came from. See, some of you are here and you've experienced church hurt, but you're still here. <laughs> You're still here. Not only are you still here, now you get to carry the lessons of those experiences that you learned to be able to help others, right? Some of y'all have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, a prodigal child who's returned back home. And now you get to carry the lessons from that experience, which will then help that parent know that the word that they've deposited in their life, train away in a child, uh, train away a child in a way in which he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart. You can encourage them in that. What I'm talking about here, church, is I'm, I'm talking about God using the Maltas for, of our life for his glory. Verse 9 goes on to say, and after this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being cured. Word got out that Publius's father had been healed, and so now the whole island is coming uh, to see Paul. And so just like that, Publius had to turn his house into a church. And the Bible says, watch this, the whole island was healed. Hey, I wonder if Paul had a huge smile on his face about this time. Not just because the people were being healed, yes, but also because now he realized why he had to go to Malta. This is a word for those of you who you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. Well, don't stop on chapter 27. Move on in to chapter 28 because the story ain't over. Your story ain't over. 
God can turn your mess into a message. He can turn your test into a testimony. He can use the very thing that you thought that was being used to take you out to advance the gospel. Amen? I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me if you would. Join me quickly. And as we bring this series to a close, I want to just leave you with this question. Will you take that bold, courageous step and be all in with God? I want you to imagine for a minute, if you could, a life where fear no longer holds you back, where doubt is replaced with unwavering faith, and where trans, uh, or complacency is, is, is transformed into fervent passion. Like, let this be the moment where you declare with every fiber of your being that you are all in with God. No reservations, no hesitations, just an unyielding devotion to Him. Come on, if that's you, I want you just to say to the Lord, yes. Yes, Jesus. I am all yours. See, friends, this right here is where our salvation, it's not just about us, but you know what? It's also for the world. You remember whenever Paul said, we must run aground on some island, chapter 27, verse 30, uh, 26? You see, as it turns out, Paul thought that he needed Malta, but Malta also needed Paul. And what you're going through right now in your life, the world needs to see you come through. They need to see the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. They need to know that the same God who set you free can also set them free. They need to know that healing is possible. They need to know that victory is possible. They need to know that God is for them and that God loves them and that God has a purpose for their lives as well. Friends, we are beacons of hope to a lost and dying world and a lost and dying generation. We cannot throw in the towel, not only for our sake, but also for the sake of the world. Now, as the team leads us back into worship, I want us to just take a moment, and then we're going to declare this out loud. So I want you to say it out loud with me. Say this, Jesus, I am yours. Have your way with me. Use me. Mold me. Make me. Not for my sake only, but for the sake of the world. 